All right, so if you will, go ahead and start making your way back to your seats and we will get started shortly. settling in. Easter was last week. It was a great service. And if you were a part of that, I've, I think I've still been just rejoicing all week at what the Lord uh, did last week. And we took a break from First Peter. So today we're going to jump back into First Peter. So if you're new uh, to Redstone, I know we've got people today that this is the first time that they've been here. I uh, just know we're kind of walking through First Peter verse by verse-ish. Um, and we'll continue that until uh, summertime, until the end of June, actually. And then we'll jump into something else. And then Second Peter, we will begin in the fall. So if you got your Bible handy, go ahead and get ready. We're going to jump into First Peter in a moment. Uh, before we do so, um, I'm just going to pray uh, that God would open up his word and that it would settle into our hearts and our minds uh, this morning. So let's pray together. Uh, Father, I thank you uh, for your grace that enables us on a Sunday morning in East Tennessee to freely grab Bibles, and we probably have many of those in our houses, and to get into our cars and to drive and just worship. Not everybody has that privilege, so I thank you for that. Lord, we're going to open up your word this morning. Lots of words are spoken on a Sunday morning. I pray that only that which is of you would be received and find its way into our hearts and everything else would fall to the ground. And Lord, I know that we are a busy people as Americans, and we've got lots of things on our minds, financial and relational and the schedule for next week, school, tests. Lord, I pray that those things would fall to the side, that we would really be able to hear your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so a little bit of an intro. Today, we're going to look at two terms that we don't hear much of, or as much of as we'd like to, uh, the word blessed and blessing. How often do you hear someone say, she's such a blessing? Probably not enough. And how about blessed? I was thinking about the word blessed and how often I hear the word blessed, and I realized, oh, I usually hear blessed when it's followed by a hashtag. You know, mama bought me an iced vanilla latte and it was in oat milk and it had a dash of honey in it. Hashtag blessed. And we send a picture, <laughs> right? But in all seriousness, here's a question for you. When people speak of you, would they say, oh, she's such a blessing or what a blessing he is? Or would they say something entirely different? And Lord bless him as they shake their head side to side. That does not count. So today we're going to see in this First Peter passage a call to a life of blessing. We're called to a life of blessing. To bless, to know that through and because of the gospel, God has blessed us. And he has called us to bless others as we abide in him. 
Okay, so before we jump into our passage, I was reminded um, last Sunday at sermon, or last Monday at sermon prep, there are these themes. So if you're, you've not been here, you, you, know, you haven't heard this, but there's these themes that run all the way through 1 Peter. Uh, the theme of holiness. God is holy and we should be as well. Okay? Um, showing honor, that word honor, it's actually used a lot in 1 Peter. Showing honor to others. Um, that we're sojourners and that we're exiles and that this is not our home. And that worldview changes the way we look at everything, every relationship, every job situation, you know, p- the pandemic and everything. We're sojourners and exiles. And this theme of sufferings that we're getting ready to jump into at a deeper level. Um, it, it's just everywhere. And then this last part, and this takes us back to this passage, but all of these themes are in each one of the passages, is this what I'm calling a spirit-filled or a gospel-laced temperament, our response to others that is so radical that the world, unbelievers, will take notice. So all of these themes have hit most of our passages and sermons thus far. They will, again, this morning, and we've said it over and over, you can't just extract a passage and know what it says unless you go back and look at the context. Who was he writing to? What did he say in the last chapter? What are the themes that we see in the words? And that's what we're going to see this morning as well. Okay? So if you will, turn in your Bibles, um, look in your worship guides, or look up at the front, or look on your phone, but we're going to look at 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. And I'm going to grab a stool. First Peter 3, 8 through 12. Some mornings are better for sitting. Sciatica says that that's this morning. All right. So let's read this passage together. First Peter 3, 8 through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, and here's the word, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him uh, seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So back in chapter one, we we said that we were looking like vertically. So if you go back and you look in chapter one, it's like vertically our relationship with God. And we hit the gospel hard. There were so many gospel truths because that laid the foundation for everything he was going to say afterwards. So we understand what, what God has done through the gospel. We understand that he's opened up the door, that we would have relationship, that we would have forgiveness, that there's reconciliation, and that we have purpose. And that he has left us here for a reason. And then he waxes um, horizontally after that and begins looking at all of the relationships that we have while we remain here. And the fact that we must be holy, which just means separate, it means set apart, it means different as, as, as our, just in our conduct in general, but who we are as a person, it has to be different. If there's no radical difference within us, then how's the world going to see that the gospel is true? So let's go back and work our way back through this passage, and I'm going to highlight a couple of words. So 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9, notice these words, okay? He says, finally, all of you... And then he says, and he lists four things here that we're to have. He says, have unity of mind, have sympathy, 
have brotherly love, actually five things, a tender heart and a humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, just the opposite, bless for to this you recall that you may obtain a blessing. So notice first in this passage that he begins, begins with these word, this word finally, all of you. You know, it's as if he's saying, like, I've talked to you citizens. I've talked to you that are husbands and talked to you that are wives. I've talked to you servants, you know, so I've talked to all of you. But if I haven't covered you yet, you know, make sure you understand that this gospel call is to everyone. Okay, so he's saying finally, and then he says, all of you. So this all of you that's being spoken of is being directed to the church, to the true Jesus followers, not just the pastors, not just the community group leaders or el um, you know, elders and deacons and everyone else. This is for everyone. This is for the 11 young ladies that were baptized last Sunday. You now have Jesus Christ residing within you and this message regarding your holy conduct and how you should respond as sojourners, it's for you as well. It doesn't matter if you're a brand new believer. We know that Scripture says that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. So one person's sin can impact the whole church. But likewise, when you have a believer that responds appropriately to suffering, to persecution, to ridicule, and they don't bite back, they don't retaliate, that gospel, spirit-filled, holy, separate, different response, people will take notice of that. And that's been our theme. You know, I remember like three weeks ago, we talked about husbands and wives, and it was a hard sermon. And I was scared to death that people were going to get stuck on this, you know, wives submit to your husband's part. And that wasn't the point of the passage. The point was, a lot of you will have unbelieving husbands or wives, you know, or they're very weak in their faith, they're new believers, or they're in rebellion, and your behavior to them by not reacting to them is going to show them that Jesus Christ resides in you, that the gospel is true. So it's that theme that we're kind of setting the stage for and that we keep on moving toward, whether it be suffering, whether it be persecution, whatever comes your way, respond in a holy way because unbelievers will take notice. Okay, so the first thing that we're going to see in this passage, all of these five, he walks them through what I call these five specific virtues. So let's briefly look at each one of these virtues. Okay, the first one he says is unity of mind. We Christians, we church are to have unity of mind. This does not mean that we will agree on everything, what chairs we should or should not order, which if we had to do over, they would not be these, but that's for another day. How many songs that we should sing, how often we should sing hymns, how committees function, and all of these things, okay? But we are to be united on the things that truly matter, the substantive matters of the faith. We are to share, as Scripture says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and to be united in our confession of the essentials of the Christian faith. We have to be united there. For example, the reformers said that the church is to be in agreement on what they called five solas. Five solas, five in Latin, it's just onlys, you know, or these things alone. And they listed them as sola scriptura. They said it's the scripture alone that reveals the gospel message to us. 
So we go to Scripture alone. The, the sola fide, the, the, faith, the fact that we are saved by grace through faith. It's faith alone. Sola gratia, that we are saved by grace alone. So, solo uh, Christo, Christo. We are saved because of the atonement of Christ alone and soli Deo Gloria. And it is for the glory of God alone. They said these five, these are the essentials of the Christian faith. We must be united on them. We're all wired differently. We come from different backgrounds. We've had different experiences. And therefore, we're going to look at things through different angles. And that's okay. The, the various opinions and ideas that are out there regarding these other things is fine. But when it comes to the matters of just the essential truths of the Christian faith, we have to be united. We have to be. The second virtue he lists is sympathy. Sympathy, it's having compassion for one another. It's not feeling sorry for each other, but feeling each other's pains. For example, Romans 12, 15 tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. I just, I, I had a dear brother, you know, I have a dear brother who was really in pain over the past couple of months and I just hurt for him. And then yesterday he got really, really good news. I picked up the phone and we just rejoiced. We were just praising God together. And it's that kind of a sympathy that we have, you know, for one another. That we hurt when someone else's son or daughter has run from the Lord. That pains us. We have sympathy for them. Or when someone loses a dog that they love. You know, it's something as simple. It's not, those things are not trite. They may sound like it, but that's the kind of sympathy that we have for one another. We live and we act as family, which takes us to the next virtue he lists. He says brotherly love. The family unit is the chief metaphor that the Bible uses to describe the church. It's as if he's saying... If for no other reason, because you are my sister, or you are my brother, or because we share the same father, if for no other reason than the fact that we are in the family of God together, I'm going to love you. A tender heart. Tenderness is just the opposite of roughness. Not tenderness of touch. That's not what we're talking about. But a tenderness that comes from deep within. It's a deep remarkable show of kindness. We all know people that are tender-hearted. It's hard to explain exactly what that is, but we know it when we see it, don't we? A humble mind. Some tramps translate the word, and it may be in your Bible here, it actually uses the word courteous. It's this idea of caring for the needs of others before ourselves. It's things like, these are just examples, opening the door for another, Allowing someone else to speak first. Really listening to what they're saying instead of just waiting for them to quit talking so that you can speak and that I can speak. A humble mind is simply, as Philippians says, considering the needs of others as more important than our own. Or as Jesus says, by doing unto others as we would have them do to us. And why? Because we remember the depths to which he's rescued us from. We know as Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, says, and he calls himself the chief of all sinners, we know how sinful we are, were. The, the, the state 
that he rescued us from, the depths to which he had to kneel down to pull us from. We recognize that, so there should be no pride in our hearts, nothing but humility. So there's this chart I'm going to show you. So here's what I'm calling these gospel-centered virtues versus the carnal, you know, the, or the unregenerate response to that. So the gospel-centered, and we could change the words here, but I think you can track with me and know what I'm saying. So the gospel-centered would be unity of mind. That's the virtue that's listed. Well, the opposite of that would be divisive, wouldn't it? Gospel-centered would be sympathy. The carnal would be indifferent. Gospel-centered would show brotherly love. The carnal would show animosity or just a callousness that would be there. Tender heart or a rough, unfilling, and just harsh. A humble mind versus prideful, rude, brash. So when we take a, just a snapshot of this, which side do you see yourself most often in? Oftentimes it's things like this and it's charts like this and it's behaviors like this that can help us to recognize and hear me on this. Don't, don't come to any quick conclusions. Oh, I don't know that I'm a Christian to begin with. Or I have completely forgotten what Jesus has rescued me from. Because Jesus says, you'll know a tree by its fruit. And if we produce bad fruit, there is something amiss there. You know, or just kind of look at each one of these, you know, individually. You know, do you see more unity of mind in situations that you're in? Or are you usually or more often divisive? Showing sympathy or really just being indifferent? You know, you can look at each one of those and think, if I had to put a dot in that first level, where would I be? Would I even be on the side of unity of mind or would I be on the other side? This is why we come together. We need to be reminded of the truths of the word of God. And then we need to repent where repentance is needed or just be reminded that this is what it should look like for someone who understands that Jesus has changed me. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm not who I was. The old things are gone. Everything's new and my behavior must be different. And in fact, it should be, and I know I've said this over and over and over, it should be a supernatural response, especially when you're wronged or when you're persecuted. It's this gospel understanding that enables us to be on this side of that list instead of on this side. And when we do, and when we are, and when our behavior is consistent with someone who's been transformed by the gospel, and this is the point, people, of the past couple of chapters. You can go back and read it. People will take notice. Unbelievers will see it. Next week, we're going to see that some of them are going to come Hey, what's going on? Why are you different? Why do you have hope when no one else does? They're going to actually ask you. But they're not going to come asking you unless they see a difference in you. And that's why Peter's saying this should be in, within government. This would, should be within your workplace. This should be in your home. And it's everywhere else. 
all of you understand that our response must be different. The exact opposite of what it was before we came to Christ. And that leads us to, I'm calling truth number one. Truth number one, if you're new, we put some fill in the blanks in the worship guide. So if you want to fill in the blanks, this is one. Truth number one says this. If our hearts and minds truly understand the implications of the gospel, then our response to others will reflect it. If we really understand the gospel, it has to affect how we act. It has to. But there's more, so let's keep on with the passage. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9 says, next. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind. And then he says, do not repay evil for, for evil. So he's continuing that same thought. And now he's going to give us some specific examples. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, bless. For to this you recall that you may obtain a blessing. So he takes this list tied to our gospel understanding and he applies it to themes that we've seen in this book or a theme that we've seen. How do we respond when others wrong us? He gives us two do nots and he gives us one on the contrary or one do. He says, do not repay evil for evil. Do not revile back when reviled. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he's telling us to turn the other cheek, to not become angry, to love and pray for our enemies and those who persecute us. He's saying, don't repay, don't revile, don't retaliate, don't bite back. And again, wherever you're at, whether this be at work, whether it's be in your home and in some kind of other relationship, don't always have the last word. Your response needs to be different. And then he says, but on the contrary, instead of that, instead of retaliating, getting the last word in, he says, bless Bless, show blessings to them instead. Be a blessing in the middle of a difficult circumstance. Bless, turn the other cheek, endure the suffering, love and pray for them. And then he says, for to this, you were called to this, giving a holy response that blesses others. To this, allowing the resurrected Jesus Christ that now lives within you to be who he is holy. To this, you and I have been called. This is our calling, church. It's to bless and to be a blessing, especially when the hard times come, because that's when people are really taking notice. This isn't in my notes. I probably shouldn't say it, but I'm going to anyway. I just, I think about like COVID. I remember having a conversation with someone on COVID and everybody's all over the place on COVID. So this is not a political statement, right? But I remember, you know, someone saying the best thing we can do as a church right now is to be the best citizens and to be in our homes and be hunkered down. And I was like, no, it's just the opposite. Do we need to show distance and wear masks and all those things? Absolutely. But people are scared to death right now. They're scared and they need to know that we're not afraid not stupid. We're not stupid, 
right? But we're not afraid, and people need to hear the gospel message. So more than ever, we need to be out amongst them, showing them the hope to which we have. Anyway, that could get me in trouble, and I'm not, I probably shouldn't have said it. But we are to bless. We receive the blessing. We receive forgiveness of sins, inclusion into the family of God, reconciliation to our Creator, and as such, we should bless others while living here as sojourners and exiles in this hard world where there will be persecution and they hated Jesus and therefore they're going to hate righteousness in general. Therefore, they will hate us as well. How we respond in those moments, if we get angry and if we bite back and if we retaliate, we're going to show them that we're no different than they are. But when we do respond supernaturally, they will take notice. Your neighbors will take notice. Your family members will take notice. Your friends will take notice. And then they will be open and receptive to receiving the gospel. It's a call to, as Adam reminded us when he spoke, to be holy, to be different, to be separate, for God is holy. So yes, the call to not retaliate and to bless and be a blessing is just simply a call to holiness. And we do, when we do have this gospel-laced temperament, they'll see it. Let's continue. Verses 10 through 12. He says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And then he ends with, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What do we typically want in life all of us christians and non-christians we want to love life and we want to see good days if we're honest don't we we all want that i think don't you all want that love life and see good days well now that we are a redeemed people of god sojourning in this world he's showing us a better way to love life and to see good days and it's a way that's not tied to your GPA, your college degree, who likes you, who doesn't like you, what your salary is or is not, a relationship with a member of the opposite sex, travel experiences, or anything else that this world might have to offer that says this is where happiness comes from. So how can we as believers love life and see good days? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. And here it is. Look at this. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So let's just start there. He's talking about our words. Look at your words. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Actions. What are our actions? Let him seek peace and pursue it. Intentions. What are our heart's intentions? So breaking this down into its most simplest you know, form, how can we be sure that we're loving life and seeing good days as believers by our words and our actions and our intentions? Words. Lips that bless equals loving life and seeing good days. Actions. Saying no to evil, saying no to sin 
and doing good instead, we'll love life and we'll see good days. Intentions, avoiding fighting and arguing and seeking peace instead, we will love life and see good days. It's this response, how we act, the intentions behind our words, the actions behind our words, they all flow from what we believe in our hearts, which is why we talk about like the term gospel-centered a lot and applying the gospel so much. And I know sometimes we say that and people are like, what do you mean by that? Because we'll say, what are you not believing about the gospel in this situation? What am I not believing about the gospel in this situation? Why is my response so visceral? Why am I angry in this moment? There's something wrapped up maybe in my identity. You know, I really want to please men more than I do God. I don't see my security, you know, in who, who Christ is and who he's formed me to be. There's something here that's causing me to react in a way that someone that's an unbeliever would act. But I am a believer, so where is that coming from? What am I not believing about the gospel? These, you know, these words, these actions, and these intentions flow from our hearts. And if our hearts are solidified with gospel truth, then those words and those actions and those intentions will be a blessing. They will be life-giving. And you know what? We'll actually enjoy that journey much more. We will see good days. Truth number two. We bless, this is in your worship guide, we bless unbelievers and are a blessing within the church when our words, actions, and intentions, and this is what he's saying, they're holy. They're holy. They're different. They're separate. They stand out. We bless unbelievers and are a blessing within the church when our words, actions, and intentions are holy. We go back to chapter one. Be holy, for God is holy. And then after that, everything else he has said, we could take it back to what he's saying. Your response must be holy. It must be different. This is not religion. This is not um, morality in the worst sense of the word, that if you'll keep this list and if you'll act this way, then God will be pleased with you and then he will receive you into his kingdom. All of that is settled at the cross. That's what the atonement was about. If you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the Easter message. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He paid for all of that. We cannot work our way into good standing. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's not of our works. Nobody can boast. It's only because of what Christ has done. That has been settled. And if that is true, then our response must be different. So as I thought about like application questions to what we're hearing, here's some questions for you. I know this is small. If you're back in the back, you may not be able to see it. I'll read them. Number word, are my words generally life-giving or do they often maybe tear down instead? My application, how much of the gospel am I believing with my words? Do my words usually bring life to people and bless them or do they tear down? Do I slander? Do I talk about other people? Do I retaliate? Do I get angry? Number two, are my actions generally a blessing to others? 
or often are they focused on myself instead? I do think it's one of the keys to living a happy and fulfilled life is when we recognize that it's not about us. I remember at a conference years ago, and you've heard me say this probably about a year ago, you know, the speaker said, if you're trying to live a happy and fulfilled life, then that's why you're not. You know, and he said it again. If you're trying to live a happy and fulfilled life, then that's why you're not. Because it's the exact opposite of what Christianity says, where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be given to you. But when we're on the throne, we're seeking our own happiness. When Christ is on the throne, we're seeking to bring glory to him. And that changes everything. The third question, intentions. With their intentions, do I generally pursue peace? Or do I always seem to find myself in the middle of conflict? These are just honest questions for you and for me as well. Because they tell us something about what we are or are not believing. And then lastly, and this is the greater question for all of us, how does or should, how does or how should the gospel impact each of these areas? We come in here not just because we're supposed to assemble, though I think Hebrews tells us that we are, but we come in here on a Sunday morning to worship to hear the truth of the word of God, to repent where repentance is needed, to encourage one another as long as it's called today, to remind one another of the truth of the gospel, the truths of the gospel, so that when we walk out this door, our behavior will be different. We need each other and we need these reminders and we must be different. We must be wholly separate, different in our responses. Is it easy to bite our tongues or to take it or whatever? No, it's not supposed to be. And if it were, then we would get all the credit for that. It's like the thorn in Paul's flesh. The Lord's like, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weaknesses. We must rely upon the Lord to live through us. That's the only way that we can not retaliate, not get the last word, not have to win the argument, and still be at peace. It's supernatural. And the point is, the world will take notice. And then the passage ends with this. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The Lord sees and will bless that kind of life. He blesses those who bless others. Jesus says that all of the law is summed up with how we love God and how we love others. And we can't say that we love God yet show disdain, indifference, and harshness to others. We can't. It's inconsistent with Christianity. And when we do, shame on us. We need to repent and repent well. Peter's call is to remind us that God is holy, therefore our actions must be holy, and our actions should be a blessing. We should bless and be a blessing. But to the one who does live for himself or herself, 
who rejects the notion of loving others or caring for their needs. In short, the one who rejects, rejects Christ and his gospel, this passage says that the face of the Lord is against that person. Jesus bids all to come, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But to those who say, no, thank you. I'm fine as I am and reject Jesus completely. Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do, Jesus says, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And I read these words and I think, oh, the mystery of the complexities of the love of God yet the justice of God. He gives himself that we might be forgiven, but if we reject him, his face is against us. His face is against them. Which is why, and hear me church as we close, which is why we must be different. We must respond differently. We must bless and be a blessing. The gospel itself is on display. Eternity itself is at stake here. I'm not God and you're not God. You may have done things differently and I may have done different things differently. The Lord came. He gave himself as a sacrifice. He died. He was buried. He resurrected. And then he empowered those 12 and beyond to be ambassadors to this world as though I am making, God says, my appeal through you. He uses us. We're his ambassadors. We represent God. We're exiles and sojourners in this world. We reflect the glory of Christ. When people want to know who is God, who is Jesus, they're going to look at our behavior. So our behavior must be holy. It must be different. Souls are at stake. And for some of us, including yours truly, I must do better. I must do better. We must do better. If we really want people to look at our behavior and say, why are you so different? And they will. That happened this week to a friend. Why are you so different? And it opened up the door for a, a long gospel conversation. But they're not going to do that if our behavior is not different. And if our behavior is only peaceful and loving and kind when things are going well, well, guess what? It's that way for the heathen as well. Right? It's kind of like Jesus when he says, you love those who love you. Well, so what? The unbelievers, the heathen do that. My call to you is different. I want you to love those who hate you, those that are your enemies. Because that's going to show them holiness. We close our time today. I go back to those initial questions. When people speak of you, would they say, oh, he or she is such a blessing? Or what a blessing he or she is? Or would they say something entirely different? And maybe the next question would be, do my, do your actions 
words, actions, and intentions reflect someone who's truly, truly been changed by the gospel? If so, praise God for that. Continue to do this work in my life. But where there's adjustments needed, we repent and ask the holy God to change us and to remind us why we are here because people are indeed watching. Here's our passage. Listen to it one more time and then we'll close in prayer. Finally, all of you, it's all of us people, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you recall that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. I wanted to spend more time on that, but there wasn't time. Pursue peace. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, but his ears, and his, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's spend a few minutes in prayer. Just bow your heads. This is you going before the Lord God Almighty and asking him to search your hearts. Search my heart, O oh God. See if there be any wicked way within me. Just be still and talk to him. He's here. He will hear you. God, hear our prayers. Lord, as we cry out to you, Lord, remind us, remind us of the truths of the gospel. We like to do things on our own. Remind us that the glory of the gospel is Christ in us. Remind us, Lord, that it's by your grace that you've, you've kept us here for a reason to be a light, to reflect your glory, to be holy, to be your ambassador, to show a different response that others may see and come to faith. Lord, we show up this morning at different places. There may be unbelievers that just don't know you, that don't know this truth. Lord, save them. There may be others that just need to repent in certain places. Lord, meet them where they're at. Meet each of us where we are at, oh God. But when we walk out of here today, Lord, I pray that our responses would be different. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Yeah, we haven't done this in a while. We've got a few minutes. Um, just because Jerry's been long-winded.
and then Easter didn't happen. We had 11 baptisms, but I'll open it up. Who's got the microphone? Sam? Adam? Adam's got the microphone. So if you've got a, a response, if you've got a thought, if you've got a word of encouragement, if you've got a, you know, a quick story, the, the key is going to be brevity so that we can you know, go, go back and spend some time worshiping and other people might want to share. But if you've got a word, and if you're new, yeah, we do this quite a lot, actually. You know, just the body responding to the truths of the Word of God. But if you've got a word this morning you want to share it, just stick your hand up in the air. Who wants to go first this morning? All right. We've got Keith starting us off. So next person, get your hand ready. Okay, Keith. And this is the voice that I wish that I had when I preached, by the way. Go ahead, Keith. I hate that setup. See? <laughs> See? <laughs> well, you'd mentioned this is on my mind <clears throat> about that passage about seek peace and pursue peace. Yeah. It's interesting, intriguing to me that that was mentioned twice. Hmm. And so the point that I would like that that's kind of speaking to me about is that we are to be people who seek to try to be peacemakers. And not quit on the first attempt when it fails, but not just seek it. But then when it doesn't go through the first time, you pursue it relentlessly. You become the person that, hey, this is the person we can go to that can probably help us find a way through so that we can establish peace, whether it be in a relationship or an organization, uh, or whatever situation, sticking point we have. So if we can be that by God's grace, to be that person who's known to be a peacemaker. I yeah. think that would be a phenomenal, because there's so many people, there's so much, as you can look, there's so much turmoil and stress and bickering and backbiting and just viciousness, just out and out viciousness. And that needs not to be named among his people, but as people of God, we need to be people who seek peace and pursue it relentlessly. Yeah, very good. That's a good word, Keith. Good reminder. Even thinking about, we got two over here on this side, um, but I'm even thinking about like that, that pursuit, pursuit. So sometimes, Keith, I think you and I would agree, we don't get it right the first time, right? But what does it look like when we recognize that and we go back to those people and say, you know what? And we apologize. And then we pursue that peace. They take notice of that as well. Okay. Here's my neighbor. Hi, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. Um, Jerry, I really enjoyed the service, and I just want to thank Jesus Christ for being my Savior, for dying on the cross, for making a way for all of us, and I just want to worship Him, and I think this is a great time to just thank Him and for all He's done for us, for making that way that you talked about, yeah. and being that soldier. So yeah. thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Thank you, Teresa. Who else? I think Scott. Very good. First timers asking for a microphone. You get, you get like a gold star or something for that. So congratulations. Scott. Um, that, yeah, that's a great word. Um, we, you know, it reminds me of a relationship that we have that we're struggling through a little bit right now. And we, we want peace in the relationship. And there, there reaches a point where apathy kind of sets in. And mm -hmm. so can you speak just a little bit to that? Because I certainly don't want to rest in that. And the verse that comes to mind is uh, never tire of doing good. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it's definitely a strain and it feels like peace is so unachievable. And so maybe, maybe you have a word to that. I don't know that I do or don't, 
you know, I think that, so the people that are tiring are the people that continue to try to do good? Is that what you're saying? We, yeah, we, we were pursuing it, but it's, yeah. man, it is a struggle. It's definitely well, a struggle. Yeah, I don't have a lot new here other than to, and, you know, somebody else can speak into this, right? Everybody can always look to the pastor. But like, this is the body of Christ speaking into this. But I think about the, the verse you just said is a good one. You know, we never tire, but it's just also the reminder. I'm kind of going back to um, John 15, abiding in the vine, right? If we're abiding in the vine, that sap of the Holy Spirit is flowing through us on a regular basis. And that in itself is a supernatural response. So sometimes we try to conjure up you know, the right response or the right, you know, the amount of energy that we need to kind of get through that. But if this is a marathon, what are you going to do? You must be abiding in the vine. I think Jenny's going to speak into this as well. I can see it in her eyes. But you're going to. We got Jenny right here. I'm not somebody who asks for the microphone. That's right. You've got it in your hands right now. So. Um, just so I don't know what you're... Uh, pursuing, but if it has something to do with somebody who's not a believer and you're trying to speak into that and it feels hard, uh, I would encourage you to just continue to be there. You, know, you don't have to search for the words. You don't have to search for what you're supposed to do. God will lead that. As somebody who was not a believer at one point in my life, um, it took me a year and a half to get to the point where I felt like Jesus was actually there and real. Mm -hmm. um, and it was because I had people that I could go to um, who weren't just pushing me into believing just because Christ was there. Yeah. Um, it was somebody that I could go to and say, you know, I have these questions, help me answer them. Or um, somebody that I could just talk to and just be honest with. So if you're there, that means everything. And it can take a long time. Yeah. And just to be there is more than anybody could ask for. Yeah, good word, Jenny. Okay, right here. We're visiting here with our granddaughter, Rachel. Yeah. Grandson-in-law, in yeah. Brandon. And as grandparents, you know, we pray for our, our kids and our grandkids extensively. Mm -hmm. And when they moved here from Crossville, we prayed that the Lord would bring them to a church that preached the word, where they can find fellowship and and grow in the Lord. And you've done that. And we are thankful for this church and what you, the part you have played in their lives so that they can grow and be a part of this community. And we really appreciate you guys for doing this. Yeah. And well, keep it up. Yeah, thanks for speaking that word. Yeah, we love Brandon. We really do. We love your son-in-law. And we love, we love Rachel. We, we wouldn't be the same church without them. They're, they're a part of our, our body. Does anyone else want to share this morning? Okay, Angela. Um, just a quick thing about pursuing peace. Um, Joel and I went to the church leadership conference last year at Watermark Church, and they talked a lot about um, kind of what that means. And something that stuck out to me was that pursual does isn't just a one-time thing like you continue mm -hmm. like you might have a reconciliation conversation with somebody but like to be able to go back and check in with them and say like hey are we still good because mm -hmm. a lot of times in our sinful hearts 
we might in the moment forgive somebody, but then fall back into that unforgiveness and to yeah. be able to like check back in with somebody and like, are we continuing on this passive path of peace? Like, are we, am I pursuing this? Like I think about like a dating relationship, like you don't just stop, like it continues. Mm -hmm. Like, am I, I'm checking in, especially if the hurt was deep, like, mm -hmm. are we still good? Are we still are, okay? Is there anything else we need to hash out? Yeah. Are we, is our relationship making progress? And I just thought that was really good. Yeah, that is good. Uh, very good. These are great insights this morning. I'm so glad we've opened the mic back up. We hadn't done that in a while. I've missed it. I really wanted to do it. I was telling them this morning on the morning that we did like the husbands and wives, but I was scared to death, so I didn't. Um, I was just going to mention that um, sometimes when we, we feel like we're walking in God's word and we're doing his perfect will, we have to remember that it's not... It's not us, but it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So we've got to realize that it's the Holy Spirit working through us. And he gives us the strength and he gives us the ability. We're just that vessel. So if you don't see that fruit, then you give it to God in every mm -hmm. aspect. And where you find that strength is in God. He's going to give us that strength through his word and through other brothers and sisters in the Lord, but everything is, is God working through us, and we've got to give, give it all to God. We may just plant that seed, and, and he waters it, and it may be somebody else totally that, that brings that person to the Lord or that, that um, gives us and gives that person their strength to overcome the weaknesses. Yeah, very good. That's a good word. You, as you were talking, uh, I was thinking about the passage in Philippians where, you know, Paul says, you know, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, there's this holy respect. And he says, for it's God who, you know, works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. The holy God of the universe is within us. And that should be the thing that we're reminded of. It's not us. I couldn't do good if I had to, Right. But the good that's glorifying to God is because of the resurrected Christ living through us. Yeah, praise the Lord. He's, he's doing a work. This is a word of God, and we're taking it, and we're wrestling with it. And then we need to take it into our lives and into our hearts, into our sometimes difficult relationships, and allow him to minister through us to these people because they are watching, they are paying attention. Let's stand, and let's continue our time together with worshiping, and then we'll close.